right, so um, I don't think I've ever seen a Western. Um, I've seen the Bob's Burger Western episode. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have a few Westerns that I really like. I like the Man With No Name trilogy. Um, is that Clint Eastwood? That is Clint Eastwood. Okay. That's like the good, the bad, and the ugly. Good, bad, and the ugly is the most famous one, but controversially, I like for a few dollars more better. Um, but my favorite Western is probably High Noon, which we'll probably end up doing on here because it's such a good movie and it takes place in real time. All right. Yeah, it is a really good movie. And I, I don't, so I guess, um, yeah, the good, the bad, and the ugly, spaghetti Western, classic Westerns. Um, I really love. Um, uh, Wind River. I don't know if you guys saw that. It Is came that out last year. Oh no, last year. It okay. came out last year. It stars uh, Jeremy Renner and um, what's the Olsen twins' sister? Oh, Ashley. Uh, Olsen? Yes. Wait, is one of the twins or the other sister? The other sister. Oh, Elizabeth Olsen. Elizabeth Olsen. Thank yeah. you. That's so it, it kind of why was. Say <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where that came from. Well, they're one of the twins. That's one of the twins. Okay. But, yeah. Oh, very cute. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, but it flew kind of flew under the radar. But it's a fantastic film, and that would be something that I would love to do on this. Oh, because, for yeah, sure. It takes place in Wyoming. It's really good. Oh. Yeah, and then um, I don't know if you guys have seen the um, the uh, Seven Samurai, the Kurosawa film that was then remade as the oh, Magnificent yeah. Seven. I, I oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh wait, Samurai. no, I have seen Magnificent Seven. Then. There we go. Um, well, which Magnificent Seven? Was that the one with like Chris Pratt? Oh, oh no. yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah, I oh, think you saw the really bad one. Yeah, I think I think I maybe even watched half of it because I watched it with Drew, no, and you, I think we both were like, "You've got to watch with this, you've right?" You've got to watch the original with Gil Brenner. <laughs> All right, yes, yeah, yeah. yeah that um, really well, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, our listeners might be hearing a new voice here. Well, she's actually a familiar voice. She's been on the podcast before, but she'll now be joining us on a more permanent basis. Uh, we were planning on having her be like our Guinan for a minute and our, our very special <laughs> guest star. Um, Which but... I was deeply honored to have that as a title. So I'm Tara, Tara Knight, and I'm so delighted and happy to be here. Um, I'm so glad that you guys have asked me to do this. Um, I'm a professor at CU Boulder, but I'm primarily an artist. I'm an animator, filmmaker, um, more on the experimental end, but um, I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, Tara is V dope. So and, and we're so happy to have her like bringing some legitimacy to this podcast. It's no longer like just three dummies sitting around being like, "Here's what I think about movies." Like, we have somebody with qualifications yeah. now. Yeah, but I, 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 you guys still have qualifications. I don't know why you think you don't, but okay. I mean, you know, it's like the difference between like us being like fans of movies and you like actually working in that realm, which is awesome. Um, so you can definitely bring some insight. And we're excited to have you here. And I'm happy to argue with you about pretty much <laughs> yeah. everything. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, let's not get back into the abyss, you know? <laughs> like, both, like, figuratively and the movie. So, yeah, let's kick this off. Uh, we have decided to do the Ballad of Buster Scruggs, and it's brought to us by Colin. We've got a little intro here for you. So yeah, welcome ladies and gentlemen and non-binary identifying individuals. We got quite the spectacle of a moving picture story to tell you about today with the Ballad of Buster Scruggs, my compatriot. Colin recommended this here piece of cinema, uh, so I'll hand the reins over to him to tell you more. Uh, free of spoilers at first, of course, uh, then we'll give you a fair warning before we get into the nitty gritty. <laughs> Why, thank you, Craig, for that Charming introduction. Um, <laughs> the Ballad of Buster Scruggs is a movie uh, written and directed by Joel and Ethan Cohen. It came out in 2018. 
It is made up of six uh, vignettes or shorts. They are number one, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, number two, Near Aldegonius, number three, Meal Ticket, number four, All Gold Canyon, number five, The Gal Who Got Rattled, and number six, The Mortal Remains. Um, it's all just separate stories set in the American West, and uh, that's pretty much it before we start really getting into it. It's, um, I, you know, my regular complaints about the Coen brothers, as much as they're my favorite filmmakers, it's like, yeah, there's a this troubling lack of people of color in this movie, and like most Coen brothers movies, it fails the Bechdel test hard. Oh, yeah. Um, uh-huh. yeah, we'll talk about that a little bit. <laughs> But I still really liked this movie. Like I, I, I watched it twice for this podcast, and the second time through, I enjoyed it. I think even more than I did the first time. Yeah, um, yeah. So as far as like general thoughts, definitely had some of those same things. As far as, oh yeah, this is definitely. Uh, if there was a tagline for this movie that I could give, it would be how the West was white. Um, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and <laughs> um, it, it, it does kind of. There are some, again, some troubling things as far as this being a movie that is uh, intended to be uh, an examination and kind of um, a, a re-envisioning of the Western trope, while at the same time, the, the things that they choose to call out and the things that they choose to alter um, still kind of very much center, uh, you know, very cisgendered, heteronormative, Eurocentric men like it is yes, very it is exactly very that. clearly and, centered on that yeah and each of the six vignettes or chapters are kind of based on tropes of you know the wild west of white and, masculinity and, and tropes right? of like western films yes. too so like the first one's the singing cowboy like roy rogers or gene autry the second one's the bank robber right the bank robber in the wild west right then there's the touring thespian then the gold miner then the homesteaders on their way to oregon the, yeah the people on the wagon trail yep yeah. and then the last one is the kind of stagecoach travelers so these are all kind of familiar characters from you know american mythos about the wild west and i mean we, i won't say anything more till we get to spoil uh, the the spoilers, the spoilers. version yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, but it's kind of interesting uh, to pick up on what Craig's saying, that they take those tropes, and I'm not really sure if they do anything with them new, and they kind of reaffirm some of the problematic um, aspects of those tropes. Oh, in oh, my some view. of them, yeah. Particularly in uh, the Wagon Train one, there's some stuff where I'm like, yeah, okay, um, we're not going to update that at all. Yeah. Uh, but, <laughs> but I still liked other parts of that so much that I was uh, it, I can get over how I was like we're really gonna gonna look at Native Americans this way we're still gonna be de- depicting Native that, Americans this yes. way yeah that and, was the one that really yeah, I think <laughs> we need to have a whole section on um, representation in this film <laughs> I think there's gonna be a long discussion of that once we get to the plot spoiler part but I think that if I didn't realize that you love the Coen Brothers so much because it has all the hallmarks of a Coen Brothers it's, film like it's high production so values oh, yeah. high production and, values quippy dialogue at least 10 words that are period specific that no one i had to google because i didn't know what the word meant right (laughs) um that it has like uh kind of quirky characters with some kind of like shockingly violent twist like Mm the um uh, in fargo when they put the people in the wood chipper right it has that like it's so much of the like sudden shocking violence of that is trademark of coen brothers and it's so dripping with the coen brothers nihilism that just oh, runs yeah. through everything. It, it like the Coen Brothers, I think, have this mythos in all their filmmaking of like life is meaningless. 
and isn't that hilarious? Yeah. Like, isn't it so funny that we're attaching all this meaning to our existence and we're just dust? Yeah, it's it's like, like zany dust, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> zany dust is the Coen Brothers, and this movie absolutely fits that. And I I'm not an expert on like the Coen Brothers. I've seen you know a few of their movies, um, but the I don't remember there being like quite so many like symmetrical shots in their movies, and this was like full of them. Like oh, yeah. uh, I got like very like Wes Anderson vibes, like from like all of like the perfectly symmetrical shots that they you know captured in this movie. And if that's something that I I feel like I've seen in a lot of their movies, but I've also not seen. I've seen like well, Argo yeah. and. And no um, brother. And no brother. Yeah. Oh, did you guys and, do you, that and you've seen um, uh, Burn After Reading. That's right. Yeah. Um, but they do have that in other movies. Like uh, Barton Fink has a lot of that stuff. Um, Miller's Crossing has a lot of that stuff. And uh, Big Lebowski does. Okay. I haven't seen Big Lebowski since like college. Does, but... So that's. Yeah. Uh, Hudsucker Proxy does also. Oh, yeah. yeah. Hudsucker Proxy is full of, like, those same, like, symmetrical shots and, like, the kind of loving attention to the the cinematography, like, the almost Wes Anderson-like. Yeah. But in this case, it's coming all from, I don't know if, because we're, call, yeah, we're doing this from Denver, I don't know if either of you went to the exhibit at the Denver Art Museum last year, they had on The West, and it was just how movies uh, have depicted The West based on, you know, paintings and other and like posters and whatnot. And it was really interesting because there's like at least ten shots in this movie that are straight out of paintings. Oh right? yeah. Yeah. Like the um Albert Birchstadt, uh sorry, uh, uh what the heck is his name? Why can't I think of it? Anyway, uh, Frederick Remington, like these are really famous or Ansel Adams photography, these are really yeah. famous depictions of the Wild West that they're kind of recreating. Why can't I think of his name? Well, that Bierstock. To, Bierstock yeah. is the other painter. There we go. Might have to do with the cinematographer for this movie, who is uh, Bruno Delevon. Um, he's a French cinematographer who, this is the second time the Coen brothers have collaborated with him. The first time being Inside Lewin Davis, which was the very first uh. episode of this podcast. <laughs> oh. I wasn't on that one. No, uh, I haven't that, seen that, the movie. That was just me and Dennis talking into an iPhone. Oh. <laughs> oh, so Humble like beginnings. Yeah. yeah, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, as, we, as we're like sitting here with like three mics, we've got like a rotating scroll of like scenes from the movie on the TV, on a slideshow. And, yeah. yeah, we've, yeah. If, we've come if a long way. If you have seen Inside Lewin Davis, we might yeah. have to do it again. Just because I, mean, I, I love that movie. You love that movie? I, yeah. I didn't watch it because I felt like I was going to hate it. <laughs> so that might, that might lead to some fun conversation. We can do the inverse of the abyss. We could. The... <laughs> um, another thing that I really uh, did enjoy about this movie was the um, storybook yeah. like kind of yeah, that tale really that cool. they did. So like before they started each chapter of the movie, it was like opening a chapter of the book. Um, like with like really beautiful art that was rendered for it uh, and then you know kind of I definitely like took a little time to like pause and like read like yep. the opening pages on that which I feel like is perfect for this to be released on Netflix Agreed. because you can do that as opposed to where it was like if it were in a movie theater like you would just be like I, I guess that said something I don't know yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I wanted to pause and read the captions and like the op the opening cover is, it calls it um, Tales of the American Frontier. And I feel like that is very much like the spirit of the movie is these I, I, tales. Yeah, of I think frontier. that could be like an alternate title for yes. this movie. Yeah. And it's, <laughs> I do like that they had all those little um, illustrated pages and everything. My, my second time through, this really isn't a spoiler, but I 
It was like, oh, it's so heartbreaking, the one that says Mr. Arthur had no idea what he would say to Billy Knapp. Oh, like, yeah. But, like, knowing what's going to happen, you're like, oh, that's that's so sad. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I watched it twice as well. And there's a lot of uh, performances that are given to where they kind of come across as, like, blank. But then, like, once you watch it again, there you, you can actually see a little bit more behind the expression and behind the movement that happens uh, in each of these uh, stories. And I feel like that's something that uh, I, I appreciate about this, uh, even though it is like it's a it's a long one to watch twice. But <laughs> yeah, I watched yeah. it one and yeah. a half times. It's actually <laughs> the longest Coen Brothers movie. Okay, yeah, yeah. And there are definitely yeah, some one, there are definitely some ones where on the second time around, I was just like, okay, I know I can like just like yeah. go through this, yeah. especially on like the gold. The all gold canyon one. There is definitely oh, plenty the of space. Fast forwarding. If you're watching it the second time, that was the one that I did not fast forward through. So oh. I feel like the, when we get to the spoilers version, where we can really dive in um, to talk about it, that would be fun to to contrast them. But again, that that's a tr uh, quality of uh, the genre of westerns of having that stoic non-performative face of just like yep. that thousand yard stare but mm -hmm. being able to tweak that a little bit and have meaning and but kind also, of actually have some real emotionality there also think of westerns as like long shots of landscape and animals going through and all, just so much establishment of like the environment that where nothing is really happening yes john ford john ford john giant ford. landscape we, with we, itty bitty people in it we might <laughs> also you... have to someday talk about the searchers because we should do the searchers yeah. that would be a fun one yeah yeah well nice uh, we'll take a little break here and when we get back we'll go full spoilers <laughs> are back all right uh so yeah now we're gonna get into some spoilers we're gonna talk about each of these different stories and yeah we'll just hop right into it let's start with the ballad of buster scruggs um so yeah we kind it's of the singing cowboy comes yeah. into town and like he's monologuing to the camera which is also a very Coen Brothers-y thing. Where, and just the fact that it's Tim Blake Nelson is a very Coen Brothers-y thing. Um, <clears throat> but he immediately goes into like this little cantina, this lone building in the middle of nowhere, and murders everyone there. Well, I mean, it's kind of self-defense. Like, yeah, it is cause... kind of self-defense because the guy is like, saying, like, we don't drink with like people like you. And, stuff. and so he starts a gunfight, but I mean... One of my first things every time was like, wow, that got really violent and dark really fast. <laughs> yeah, because he's definitely like, he's very, this like, grinning, like, happy-go-lucky kind of he's, guy. He's the white hat. Yes, yeah. he's, he's the white hat, clean-shaven, aw shucks, he's got the piping on, on his, uh, everything about this reads <laughs> he, like, Roy Rogers, the, gee whiz. Yes, he's and, the trope of the Roy Rogers, like, good guy cowboy, and he's just killing everybody yes. <laughs> but that's the thing is like he also he's never like the person that shoots first right like he's always like the you know the most honorable type of you know bandit that you can imagine as far as he's still an outlaw technically but he has like again like the the bandit with the heart of gold or like the code of honor i thought that one of the funniest parts was the way that he insults people in this where uh you know like you what was it it's you're as bad of a judge of character as you are a bad judge of humans or of people as you are a specimen of one. It was like one of the ones <laughs> yeah. where he's yeah. just like, yeah, you're, you're a better quality <laughs> drinking buddy. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And so that line is actually about the one 
vaguely identified Mexican character who's sitting in the background. That's who's talking about you need a better class of drinking buddy. Oh, is wow. the, oh yeah, that's I the, didn't oh, read yeah, it that way. Because he's got the mustache and the kind of right. vaguely... Uh, what is that? The bandito. Yes, like, thank yeah. you. Yeah, I'm doing, I'm yeah. doing the bandolier. I'm <laughs> doing it because I couldn't think of the word. But yeah, so that that line is the only reference to Mexican peoples or Mexican Americans. In <laughs> apparently, they didn't live in this part of the world. <laughs> in this part of the American West, that was Mexico. In yeah, the exactly. the Mexican American yeah, yeah, exactly. And that they need a better class of drinking buddy than the Mexican character. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's a. Uh... That's. Yeah. So again, this is where, if there were more intention behind it, I feel like yes. this is something that could actually be like turning this trope on its head. Yes. But that it doesn't feel saying, like, yeah. yeah no. But it doesn't feel like there's enough intention behind it or enough like actual bite to it. When we know that they're good at like biting wit, but they never seem to invest that in in investigating the the yeah the representation and yes. like the marginalization of like the people like that have lived in this time like uh we'll get into it in the next one as far as native representation yes. um because that's a perfect near algodones is yeah, yeah rife with that yes <laughs> yes but I, I, I do like in this one the kind of twist on the scene, Cowboy being this a kind of, not quite villain, but grotesque in how he kills people, right? That it's a spoiler alert, that he doesn't just like shoot at someone in a um, standoff draw, uh, draw what's that? Yeah, called? like a showdown. Showdown, thank you. He actually shoots off all their fingers first, right? And this kind of explosion of kind of playful is meant, I think, for laughs. And, and then grotesque. when he actually yeah. does kill the guy he's got like one bullet left and he does the trick with the mirror over it and he's like talking to himself like well the wind is blowing this way but i'm gonna be looking at him on the right but that's in the mirror it's on the left and the gun is upside down and and he's this whole thing of like while this guy is like fumbling to pull the gun out of his holster with his other hand it it is just this real dark violent cohen's (laughs) moment and then like when he kind of I don't necessarily call it comeuppance. I would just say that because they don't really portray it as comeuppance. It's just it's like just the life of a gunslinger. Yeah, like, it's it, like it's a, a faster gun is going to come along and you're going to die. And it. And I did love the song that they had um, yes. at the end of that. That was a, a moment that I really did enjoy as far as the as the new band like the new like gun in town is like singing off. You know, he's Buster Scruggs is like ascending into heaven like with his wings and his harp. <laughs> Again, that kind of almost magical realism that yeah. the Coen brothers have. It's it's, it's, it's like the same thing from uh, Hudsucker Proxy exactly. with the CEO. Yes, the CEO jumps out the window and then has a similar like ascent to heaven <laughs> in this kind of um, borderline cartoonish way, right? And the guy who um, eventually, you know, uh, bests are our singing cowboy is himself a singing cowboy, but is coded as, you know, he's in all black and has studs and all this other stuff. Like he's coded as the villain from those kinds of yeah. um, stories. So it's a nice reversal of, of who are we cheering for and why. Yeah. Um, at the same time though, other than it being kind of like a cute twist on the singing cowboy, I'm not, I'm not really sure what, what I get out of it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think there's other um, chapters that, are better than this one. This one is a nice kind of light opening to what the rest of the film is. Um, I did want to address before we move on to another one that the reason he doesn't play the hand that he sits down to, not just because it's another man's cards, but it's aces and eights 
which is the dead man's hand. That is the hand that Wild Bill Hickok had when he was shot in the back oh, of the head by Jack McCall. Did Ooh. not know that. Good details. Nice, <laughs> nice. But yeah, I do, and I think that going back into that nihilism of you saying, you know, Tara saying like you didn't really get anything out of it. I again, like that could just be intentional. Like it's just like, hey. One day you're gonna die. <laughs> One day, like, you're the fastest gun. Like somebody's yep. gonna come along who's faster. Yep. Yeah. And isn't it funny that you think this is meaningful? Yeah. And, and that's why you could even argue that despite this taking place in the <clears throat> Wild West and all the tropes, like it may not actually be a western, right? Like a western is often about like big clashes between good and evil, or like morality tales or revenge tales, right? They often have this like really high stakes. Um, morality play that's happening and this movie intentionally has none of that <laughs> yeah 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 this movie has the white hats and the black hats and it has all the symbols of it but none of the substance and mm -hmm. i think they're doing that intentionally yeah yeah <laughs> we, we will keep going because i'm going to continue disagreeing with that <laughs> all right well uh near algodones um yeah this one we get a uh, james franco james franco yeah. is going to rob a bank and it is the Bank of Tucumcari, which is a nod to um, for a few dollars more. Oh, because right. at the beginning of uh, he stopped the train is not supposed to stop at Tucumcari, and uh, Lee Van Cleef like forces the train to stop at Luke. <laughs> he said, "This train will stop at Tucumcari." Whoa! Nice again. Nice details. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was just one of those things that I saw. Like Tucumcari was like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> um, my favorite thing about this one is the pan shot of course like yes. it's just, <laughs> so so yeah so james franco is you know comes and tries to rob well initially he just kind of walks in and he's like you know has anyone ever tried to rob this place before and, and he's talking to stephen root yeah <laughs> stephen root in a coen brothers movie is like the quirky like weird guy who's like running this small place in the middle of nowhere but yeah. yeah and he's like oh yeah you know we have like a couple people come in like I killed one of them I shot another one in the legs and had to keep him in the safe until the you know marshal could come around because he only comes around once a month and he'd already come by the week before and, and I had to apply a poultice of uh, herbs or a, a poultice in urine like to keep <laughs> and it was just like it was amazing. This is probably, I think this might be my favorite one of the... Really? This was your favorite really? one? Really? Well, as we talk about it more, yeah. I, might, I might have another yeah. one. But yeah. as I'm thinking about it right now, I just, I, this is like, I enjoyed this one a lot. Well, that section I really did in part because of his performance and the kind of absurdity of him kind of coming out in this armor to defend himself, which is all pots and pans <laughs> and, you know, um, washboards and things that he's kind of assembled into this you know, Wild West do-it-yourself armor while being shot at by James Franco. Like, there's something <laughs> very playful and funny and exciting. Oh, yeah, and like, as he's getting shot, he's like shouting out like, pan shot! Like, every, like it's like, he, you missed me! Like, pan shot! <laughs> he, he knocks out James Franco who then wakes up like on his horse like with a noose around his neck being about to be hung from a tree and... My favorite part in this part, in this section was, do you have anything to say before sentences carry out? I said, that pan-covered son of a bitch at the bank don't hardly fight fair, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, that was great. <laughs> yes. Um, yes, and then the next part of that scene is where then they are... Um, is there when we have some... Some, just yeah. a roaming band of savage natives well, who just to, to, tear through in, like a in storm. In the defense and... <laughs> of, of this part, 
compared to other parts, at least they say Comanche. They, they don't they, just they say, specify. They don't yeah. say Indians. They don't say savages. They say it's Comanche. Yeah, yes. they specify the people who they continue and, to and they dehumanize after that point. And they identify them by their tribe. Like, yeah. As, yes. Instead of saying like Indians, they're like, no, they're the Comanche Nation. They're yeah. Like, but it's again rife with all of the stereotypes. It's still rife there's with the stereotypes. Scalping, of, there's scalping. Um, there's no speaking the, lines. There's no speaking yeah. lines, right? That they don't get to say anything. There's one close up, and that's in and, contrast and the, with the James one Spank thing Franco's that's yeah. better about this depiction of Native Americans than it would be in like a traditional Western is that these are actual Native American people and not. White people in, in brown face, in yeah, red face makeup, <laughs> yeah, red face, uh, I guess, yeah. yeah. That was the yeah. I definitely like looked that up like after this because I was like, for a moment, I was like, mm, let me just make sure. <laughs> Again, but if the bar in 2018 is that we are giving it credit because it because has, they, they didn't it do that indigenous yeah. peoples as playing indigenous peoples just didn't give them any lines, <laughs> you know, like yeah. yeah I will agree with you that that is that is troublesome. Yeah, it's also it, that this is the 29 minute mark is the first time we see a woman um, who also has no lines, um, who's the pretty girl marked in blue. It's also the first pop of color, right? That col- mm-hmm. the really muted color palette I think is really beautiful in this and it, and very much intentional. But so you see this woman in a bonnet and it's bright blue in the sea. It's he's about to be hung and says, oh, oh, that's a pretty girl. And then boom, And then the, the bag goes over his head and he's hung. Right. That was, um, I, one thing that I did enjoy too was the uh, passage of time shot that they show as he's hanging from the tree on the horse. So he's like sitting on the horse, hanging by the, like by the noose. And then as he's like sitting there, the horse is like grazing. And so like we see and this moving shot. moving farther and farther out. <laughs> the rope is like getting totter and totter. Yeah. And so like that shot where they show like the, him on the tree sitting on the horse and then like the passage of time is like they show like the horse like fading into like getting a little further away i love that shot i, but, I thought it was really actually then the, uh, the good samaritan who comes to help him like you would think he'd just like cut the rope with a yeah. knife or something. No, he goes to shoot the rope spooking the horse so now james Franco is dangling and he's swinging back and forth and the guy's still trying to shoot the rope and he goes hold still yeah, hold still <laughs> <laughs> that was great. <laughs> um, yeah, is that uh, we've we've gotten through like yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah next. So yeah. we'll move on to meal ticket, which I thought was like the most heartbreaking one. Uh, I mean, even considering the gal who got rattled, I think meal ticket was. Yeah, this one I yeah without going too far into that one, like yeah, yeah. Uh, I I definitely feel like this one was. Uh, one of the ones where on the second time I watched it, uh, I saw like more than I did the first time around. Me too. Uh, and so essentially there's uh, an armless and legless man who goes around performing um, like these like orations of like classical like literature and, and the presidential. Address yeah. and Shelley. It's kind of things that were popular in, of yeah. the time. Yeah. And, and there actually were at the time there were yeah. tons of shows like this that would travel across the country yeah. Yeah. in wagons just like the one that Liam Neeson is operating. It, like Liam Neeson is like the companion of this guy. Like 
when you're first watching it, you think of him as like being the caretaker of this guy. Yeah. <laughs> but we kind of reveal he's actually just taking advantage of this guy. And yeah. it's called Meal Ticket. Yeah. I guess that that's why I was like... When you first saw it, you I, already... I, I was like, oh yeah, okay. Well, oh, we begin with a disabled person who, by the way, has no lines. He speaks on stage and has no lines off stage. Again, yeah. no speaking and roles. Who is, and who is played <laughs> yeah. by the guy who was uh, Dudley yeah. Dursley in... <laughs> Uh, the Harry Potter movies. He's uh, Harry Potter. Oh, that is him. I yeah. wondered where I recognized him from. Yeah, but the but the, just before we jump into um, that, the I really like the, again the thoughtful attention to quirky detail and production design that the um, Coen Brothers movies often have. So it's painted on the the um, cart. It's or not. It's not called a cart. What is that called? It's not a stagecoach. It's a traveling. Platform, the a theater. There's a name. For, thank you, thank you. It says fantastic arts, dramatic arts, <clears throat> tragedy, mirth, mystery, the best show in the West. And I feel like again that that goes back to their kind of larger idea of this being like the tales of the American frontier. Mm -hmm. That in some ways is kind of describing what they're doing, right? That it's tragedy, mirth, and mystery um, in that part. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So yeah, essentially the uh, Liam Neeson is taking care of, again, his meal ticket. So he's trying to, uh, he's pretty much, as we've discovered, taking advantage of him uh, because we find this moment where there's a chicken who can do arithmetic. And so <laughs> that becomes like the next... Uh, meal ticket. The next, yeah, meal <laughs> ticket. And it's so... There's like one moment, uh, and I'll like post it because I'll probably be like posting some images from this oh, nice. over the next like week or so um, on our Twitter page. Uh, and... Uh, like the moment when you see the the disabled man and he's like looking at the chicken and it's kind of like an oh fuck moment like and it's yeah. like really subtle which this movie like has a lot of like really subtle reactions that I really yes. really loved uh, and that was like one of the moments where it was just like oh this is not going to end well for you oh and there's a moment that used the audience and I think one of the strengths of this one is because so much like Liam Neeson and the um, performer never exchange any dialogue. Right, that they have no lines together. It's just seeing um, them kind of both in the caretaker role and then there's that wonderful moment where silently you put together what Liam Neeson's character is doing where he's going to test out you know, can he drown him, right? Oh and you, my God. You, the yeah. moment you, the Word. audience, put that together for yourself, it takes no dialogue or explanation. It happens off screen. We don't have to know anything about it. But that realization was like, ah, and, that And that you don't yeah. see it. You see him pick up the rock and drop it off a bridge into the river. And then the next scene is just the back of the wagon and dude's not there. Yeah. yeah. It's just the chicken. It's yeah. just the chicken. Yeah. And I, I feel like the moment you can see where the performer realizes like, wait, what's happening here is the moment you, at the audience yeah, member, the go like, wait, time. what's happening here? Really classic. Um, Coen Brothers' ability to like have you put the idea together in your head without any words. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I, and I feel like the moment on the first time when you kind of realize something's off with Liam Neeson. It's like he's laying, he's like drunk as hell. He's like laying by the campfire and he's like singing this song about like hanging a woman. Yes. And it's, he's it's like, old, oh, yeah, yeah. uh, like Irish uh, folk song. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then right after that, it's like, um, he's like, let's go into town. And then he like goes they and he go goes to a, to a brothel. brothel. Yeah. I, I love the moment. It's just this, I don't know if it's intentional or not, but he's climbing the stairs of the brothel and he's got the guy like strapped to his back. And he stumbles on the stairs, and he, like, almost breaks the banister. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like, when they get into the room, and they're, 
about to, you know, get well, down. Liam Neeson and a prostitute. <laughs> he, yeah, yeah, he like, yeah, Liam Neeson, like, he like, brings the man, the other man into the room and then, like, turns him around so that way he, like, can't see what's happening, although it's, like, he's right there so he can hear everything. And, and again, this very odd dehumanizing, right, belittling. Oh, yeah. But this is the part where, like, because throughout this whole segment we've been building up that, like, oh, Liam Neeson has taken care of this guy, like... He's you see him, him feeding you see him. him. Feeding you, him. You, you see him helping him go to the bathroom, right? So you think it's his caregiver role that slowly gets unwound. Yeah, and, and mm-hmm. over the course of it, we start seeing like, oh no, this is so predatory. <laughs> yeah. And then he's replaced by a chicken. Yeah. A, a new meal ticket. Yeah. <laughs> Which I was like, well, I mean, at least he can actually eat that one when he's done with it. Like when he has no love, like no more use for it. At least he can eat that one. Oh, he could have eaten. <laughs> he could have eaten the performer, I guess. Yeah. Well, speaking of which, I guess uh, later on we go to the Oregon Trail. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll wait till we get to that one. Yeah. yeah. So the next one is with Tom Waits, for those of you who yes. know his... Uh, Tom Waits. Yes, both music and acting career. Uh, all looking, Gold Canyon. Yes, All Gold Canyon. <laughs> looking very, very, very like a mine, gold miner of the era. <laughs> yeah, Tom Waits the, has aged <laughs> a lot. This, I think, was... Either this one or The Gal Who Got Rattled were my favorites. This was a, I did like this one a lot too, um, and it takes a very slow pace, which I again like the second time around. It was kind of like just like okay, I know like what's happening here, so I can kind of go forward and go through it. But the first time around, I still really enjoyed it. Um, and so essentially, we you know come across this like you know pastoral like you know open space and vibrant this, green valley. Yeah, they take a lot of time of to establish how beautiful this uh, place is. And like how pastoral and everything. There's deer, there are owls, like there, you see the butterflies. Again, it's it's this image in the American mythos, uh, mythos that, it, that it's untouched. Oh, then we just saw the photo. It's untouched <laughs> land, right? It's never been touched by man, which is super problematic because people have been living there for millennia. But, yeah. but <laughs> it's that white myth but, but of within, undiscovered like, the, the, country. Yeah, within yeah. the realm of the American Western, it's yes. that thing. It's that yeah. trope, exactly. Yeah. And then I love too how uh, in that moment, where as we do that we see um, an owl uh, and it does like I was like it's like my colonizer sense is tingling because it's like the owl like puffs up you know and like starts doing like the the angry owl we see the deer like (laughs) run away we see the butterflies fly off camera (laughs) and then yeah as we do that we start to hear this song coming through uh, like very uh, low and then And then it's like it's almost yeah, like he's, he's coming. Yeah. And it's, it's so Tom Waits. It's it's yeah. so Tom Waits. And it's almost like he's coming through, like um, like he's entering onto a stage, like the way that he enters yes. onto the scene. Nice uh, it's yeah. very much like him opening a curtain in like coming on stage uh, as we see him coming through, and then nice yeah, uh, awesome. immediately yeah, the yeah. first thing that he does is just like bury the spade into the ground and just and gets just to destroy dig it. it. Yeah. Gets to dig it, right? Gets to, like, like, this has got to be. A used for man. Like, this whole landscape is here for us to mine. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's so he's a, a gold panner. He's like coming through. Yeah, uh, just a classic prospector, and he really looks like a prospector. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite parts too is as he's like you know dig. He's like digging all these holes trying to find the the ore, like the main vein. Uh, and so it's like, you know, he digs a little bit here, digs a little bit there. There's like one scene where he's like, oh, like almost enough to keep, and it's just like. That, like, sense of, like, waste of just, like, oh, well, it's, like, 
not enough to be even like worth my time and you know so well, it's like it's we gotta find that bigger <laughs> well i know i know i know but well, i mean not it's not worth financially his time exactly right? it's where the values are it, yes. exactly like the value of that as opposed to like again like this like beautiful gorgeous like yes. environment that he's like found this himself stunning in stunning valley yeah. that you know um looks again like an ansel it's not the exact ansel adams i'm guessing they shot this in canada i don't know if anyone looked yeah i would up. have to yeah. look up like the location but i'm gonna guess yeah. again it's the stunning glory of kind of the Rocky Mountains, um, which is probably the Canadian Rocky Mountains, <laughs> that then just gets chipped away at by this one. But I did, I did really, I really appreciate it. Again, going back to the amount of detail, the production design slash research that they do of the being able to, um, uh, how do you find a vein, right? And kind of, uh, you know, digging a little bit every ten feet in either direction to figure out like where exactly the gold is mm-hmm. and then kind of following it backwards that I was like, Oh that makes sense. That that's th- how that's actually gold how they went do it. it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So kind of integrating the period research into the narrative in mm-hmm. a nice way. So yeah, he yeah, finally finds the, you know, pay dirt. And, and the whole time he's talking to this Gold. Yeah, and he's looking. He's calling it Mr. Pocket, and being like, "I'm gonna find you, Mr. Pocket." Uh, and yeah, once he does, it's like again one of those another really subtle moments that um on the first time around I kind of like missed it, and then the second time I watched it, I like rewound it a few times because it's like, oh my god, that's actually really cool how they portray this. Because as he's like sitting in the hole, he's that he's just dug like the giant big he's hole. He's just found a vein, yeah, like a full on vein of gold. And then like as he's like down there, he like sees like just like the bearish like shift of a shadow behind him, and then he just freezes after he's like he's found it. He's like laughing, and then he just sees like the like the shade of a shadow like shifting, and he just like freezes. His face like gets this like moment of like oh shit. He looks down at like the pike that he has. And before he can, he's like shot in the back. <laughs> yeah. And the first time when I was watching it through, I thought it was going to be the owl that we see earlier, that we see earlier, that mm-hmm. it was just like the passing of the owl, you know, in the air causing the uh, shadow. And I was like, why is he so terrified of the owl? Like, I know he tried to steal the eggs, but like, I don't, I'm not, oh, got it. Okay. <laughs> like, there's a, a bandit or there's a, a black hat again. Yes, yeah. yes, exactly. Yep. And then we have some like, yeah, I'm not really dead type um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, fighting. Because <laughs> he gets shot in the back. And but then... then the guy like takes a minute. The guy sits there just to be like, oh, did it work? And he rolls up a cigarette and he like starts to smoke it. And then he puts it out and he climbs down to the hole. And that's when Tom Waits like springs in. And says, I'm not really dead. Yeah. <laughs> Bites off and like shoots at the guy. He's like calls him a skunk. And like, oh, like it, I love You've it. been camping. Oh, you camper. It's like, sounds like a halo. Like, you know, like you dirty camper. <laughs> so, so, but then he shoot, ends up shooting the guy in the head and like getting Through the away hand. with the gold. Like for actually one of these things in a Coen Brothers movie, there's actually a happy ending to one of them. <laughs> I mean, again, and this is, like, relative as far as, like, happiness because... Because the place is still, like, spoiled. Like, he's dug all these holes. He's dug the giant hole that he threw the corpse in and left the corpse in there. Yeah. And that's going to make it way harder on him when he comes back to get the rest of the gold <laughs> that there's a corpse in there. So, yeah, because, yeah, as we, like, close out, we see, you know, the butterflies returning and the owl lands back again. And the deer, and the deer comes back. back in. But there's, like, a giant, like, just, like... 
scar in the land of like this like gutted yeah. out area that he's dug into and so it's like ne- not nothing is pristine anymore like right. you can't return anything back to the way it was and so like the Tom Waits character is one of, as you're saying like one of the few people he's like this is a quote unquote happy ending for him he doesn't die and potentially will get his fortunes but at the expense at of, the expense yeah there's still yeah, a exactly. major like there's still like uh, there's still death in the end there's yes. still like a loss at the end of it all yes. yeah um, yeah, well, that is All Gold Canyon. <laughs> I, that one, I, I think that that one for me was that they do so much of the talking about um, uh, kind of dis- destruction of the landscape for extracting resources so well. It's not like they have, you know, hundreds and thousands of miners. It's one miner. It's one valley. It's just little divots that, but that still gets that idea across. But it's, it still mm-hmm. does like the meaning of what yes. they're saying. Yeah. 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 It does it really well. Yeah. All right, well, The Gal Who Got Rattled. Yeah. Was so, that the title of that one? Yeah, oh. The Gal Who Got Rattled. She sure did. Uh, <laughs> it, it starts with a, a woman and her brother who are at a dinner party with these people, and that dinner scene is just the most Coen Brothers dialogue. Of, <laughs> I love the old woman who's like, yeah, it's a nervous cough. It's not a contagious cough. I wouldn't rent to such. <laughs> yeah, they really love doing that kind of quirky uh i get like think about the hudsucker proxy of of um uh, what the heck is her name who played who's in the oh uh, uh, jennifer jason uh, lee no no no, 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 no. Uh, who is it in the this is gonna drive me nuts oh maybe it's jennifer jason lee um, Any, anyhow, whatever. Her character has this, like, you know, is trying to be um, this, like, uh, his girl Hoxian, Friday. Exactly. Yeah. Howard Hawk style or his girl Friday, like, yeah, I'm, I'm a, oh, a reporter. Reporter. Get what I see. Coming from the And so in this scene, again, that they're doing this kind of, like, totally cartoonish but very playful take on how people would have spoken to one another then. Again, one of the Coen Brothers trademarks, which you either love or you find kind of grating and annoying. <laughs> so that <laughs> so might be go to like our fundamental thing with the going through this. This I love that stuff, and I could see why someone would find it annoying. And like kind of like it's like wearing a top hat or something. Like why are you wearing a top hat? <laughs> <laughs> Just have the scene. Yes. So yeah, this is like the prelude to them going out on the trail. Uh, and so uh, we found out like the brother has said that, you know, they're going to Oregon and they're going to, you know, he's get... going to start up a business there and he's going to marry her off to some associate of his. Yeah. Which we later find out may or may not have actually been ever oh, an yeah, option. Because but... we find out that the brother was just kind of full of shit about everything. <laughs> uh, so yeah, as we go out on the trail, uh, the brother dies probably within like a week of like them yeah, being he, on the trail. he's got consumption. Yeah. And he just, he dies. And uh, I, I love, uh, was it President, uh, President Pierce? Pierce. <laughs> their, little their little dog. He's like a Jack Russell. Mm-hmm. Is he actually? Yeah, you know, yeah. it's a Jack Russell Terrier. Uh, which I just love those dogs. Yes. They're so and adorable. And I think that's a, I think, uh, I should have Googled this before saying it on the podcast, but I think that's a hint to Little House on the Prairie. That was it what probably their dog is. was. That makes yeah. sense, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, let's, again, one of my favorite lines Jack, is, Jack was the, um, dog. the dog like barks at everything and, and, uh, 
do they name what's the woman's name i might so bad at this already <laughs> no uh you mean because again we're uh, there's that we're moving toward one named female character yeah, Going back yeah. To the <laughs> that's, that's thing. my yeah. biggest problem with the movie as a whole is like there's one female character with a name in it and but that's also a problem that the coen brothers have kind of all the time yes and uh, can i jump into this while you're um, scrolling oh yeah go ahead. Gonna, I'm, okay so the extra textual information about this movie like the stuff that happens extra beyond textual me like the, not outside, like not within the film itself like you know when you know that like the leading couple are actually getting a divorce during the shooting or like the director was fired halfway through or like extra textual it's beyond mm -hmm. but you but you still see the film that way the coen Francis McDormand was the this year at the Oscars was the one who called for inclusion writers, right? Yeah, of yeah. having more women and people of color like written into and, and, and use she your did, star she power. Decided to bring that up to her, to her husband. husband and her brother-in-law. <laughs> like that for me is one of the like you've got to be kidding. This I think is the first movie that they made since she made that speech, mm -hmm. and it's like Come on. shockingly, like shockingly, um, kind of in some ways like out of touch with the politics of today that's another yeah, reason yeah. i have a big problem with this one in particular yeah yeah, yeah. uh alice longabow long right. there we go thank they, you they, she's almost exclusively referred to as miss longabow yeah that's right yeah. um which, which is, is a whole period specific but yeah, that's also that, that's... um but and yeah revealing your christian name your first name was like an act of intimacy, oh yeah that was right? like a super intimate thing to like let's i'm william bill and alice I'm that was william. a nice moment. i'm billy knapp it, who is there a more lovable character than Billy Knapp? I mean, I just this guy was so charming, and I like just felt so hard for him throughout this whole piece. Yeah, he so yeah, he's kind of like the one of the leads on the trail. Like it's him and um, Mr. Arthur. Yeah, Mr. Arthur, and they're kind of like the guides for this wagon trail. Uh, and as we go through, they. I wouldn't even, it's not like a romance. It's more of like a contracting it once yes. again. It's like, Although I do think it is a romance. I mean, she's really falling for him and he's doing a lot of stuff. It, it is, yeah, in the like masculine man's gotta do kind of way thing, but he is doing it because he feels for her. Yeah, that's true. Um, it's, it's just, again, portrayed as like a contractual... Like, because that's also kind of period specific. I we, mean, in, in the world at that time she's fucked yeah like she has no money she has no prospects she has no family to go back on like if he doesn't marry her no that, that's like what's what she I, gonna do that's yeah and that's what i got like from this whole thing and in, in general the time period is like for women it's pretty much like marriage or death like those are your two options yeah and you gotta be pragmatic about it <laughs> yeah yep <laughs> uh and and so yeah, so we have President Pierce, who at one point is lost. He they go to well, put him down because they, they he's going been to put him down because he's been barking and like everyone's convinced that it's her dog, but it was actually the brother's dog. Yeah, and then once the brother dies, it technically becomes her dog, and so she's like, "Well, yeah, put him down if you need to. If he's pissing everyone off, I don't really care that much because he was not my dog to begin with." Uh, and so they. Uh, so they bring the dog and um, he ends up coming back and that's where we get to kind of like the climax of this piece of it's another... She's off, <laughs> she's off looking for the dog. Mr. Arthur goes to find her and we have another, like, I mean... Yeah. Yeah, we have another yet another of... problematic representation of indigenous peoples. <laughs> um, and, and But here's where it gets like so sad is that he's gives her a pistol and was like, 
if it looks like I'm done for, you need to shoot yourself because of what they're going to do to you. Which, again, is a super troublesome depiction of, of Native yeah. people. But, but, it's, but again, going back to like the duty and responsibility thing, right? Like his character is the kind of earnest philosopher cowboy well, as its own trope, he's right? He's like, John Wayne. He's yeah. like the strong, silent... But also, like, you know, he talks about, you know, the nature of uncertainty, right? Yeah. Like, like okay, we've got some... This this is more in the tradition of traditional Westerns, right? Where you have either morality or some kind of, like, big, heady philosophical conflict that's at the, the, the center of the film. I really like how they're like, okay, so someone's talking about uncertainty and, like, within five minutes his new bride or bride-to-be will be dead. Yeah. <laughs> out of... Out of the... Out of uncertainty. Out of uncertainty. Out, out of the thing of like she didn't like because she sees a guy ride by and hit him in the head with a stick, and so she thinks, oh, he's done for, so she kills himself. But we don't hear the gunshot. We don't see it happen. It's just after he has managed to like win the day and drive off the rest of this raiding party, he sees her. Is like, oh, she oughtn't have done that. Yeah, she jumped the gun, and and literally, but he's the one who told her to do it at the same time. Yeah. And, and so then it's Mr. See, Arthur, right? That's yeah, it's Mr. Arthur. Mr. Arthur. And then Mr. Arthur has to go back, and the dog is following him, and he's going back, and we see Billy coming up the trail towards him, and it's so heartbreaking. What's the line? Yeah. You guys said it before. Uh, oh, it's it's what is written on the page is like Mr. Arthur had no idea what he would say to Billy now. And I feel like it's interesting that they they put that at the beginning, uh, especially considering that throughout this entire thing. Um, Billy and Mr. Arthur kind of have this, like, Mr. Arthur is this very stoic type of person. Like, whenever he's, like, talking about, you know, um, Billy's, like, comes up and he's like, you know, I'm thinking about marrying Mrs. Longabow or Miss Longabow. he doesn't say anything. Yeah. Uh, And there's, like, multiple moments like that where he's just, like, pretty much just, like, if it doesn't regard me, if it doesn't do anything, like, if it doesn't affect me, it's not my business. Uh, And then, like, in this, like, last moment where you see him going back, even like within the dialogue of the movie, there's no indication that he feels anything about that. Any no, kind of way. There is but, because when he's like, he was like, oh no, like, oh, like, oh, she shot. He the most emotion he shows as a character is right after she kills herself. Well, yeah, but we we never see like any moment between like between Mr. Arthur and them, Billy no. that shows like their relationship like as like any sort of like thing other than two people on the road together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then this is kind of like with that last moment and then with the opening words in the book like portray this like n- like new level of like oh like he actually did Does. like he's yeah. like for the first time doesn't know what to say and that's like I found that really cool I like yeah. the way that and that he has that. that again that the the breaking of the kind of stoic manly you know kind of particular kind of oh there's the shot right there yeah. nice nice well done um uh, kind of white masculinity and like oh she shouldn't have done that now I have to go tell this person who I do care about <laughs> about what's happened yeah, yeah. and I, I love just like when the brother first turns up dead Mr. Arthur's just like oh I'm so sorry miss and Billy Knapp like we see a transformation in Billy Knapp because his first thing is just like I'll get a spade and we actually see him start to care about her and become a more caring more like thoughtful feeling person whereas uh, Mr. Arthur has to remain John Wayne yeah you know know, now that I think about it I uh, tell, tell me if I'm wrong but this 
uh, chapter seems to have the least amount of quote unquote famous actors. Like I didn't recognize yeah. most of the oh, people yeah. in it, right? Not it's one of the longest. Zoe Kazan is probably the only person right. who I know the name of. Right, exactly. And that it's in some ways to me the more interesting in terms of acting choices. Like her reaction when he asks her to marry him is really a, a wonderful mix of oh, confusion and, and his thing <laughs> of getting so close like, <laughs> yeah. I, I have ambushed you yes. oh no, oh, yeah. like, <laughs> that, <laughs> I feel so bad yeah. that scene is really really lovely in terms yeah. of uh, you know having so many different kinds of uh, emotional twists and turns in a very short amount of time Yeah, I think scene wise that might be my favorite kind of actorly scene yeah <laughs> Uh, with people that uh, you know, I don't know that you know. I don't know those characters <laughs> or those uh, actors. All right, and finally we have the mortal remains. Um, yeah, this one. <laughs> this this is the weird one. Yeah, <laughs> this is definitely. Why, why do you think it's weird? What's weird well, about it? So it's kind of like um, what's that like trope where it's like the like everything happens in one room I'm forgetting like oh yeah television would be referred to as a bottle episode thank you yeah this this kind of felt like yeah a bottle episode of a of a a vignette um which I kind of actually the thing I wanted more from it was to be a little bit more actually like I wanted like a little bit more like supernatural type of element to it because it felt like they were kind of pushing element to it but like they ended on an ambivalent thing like is it which again, the Coen Brothers. Yeah, ending on ambivalence. But to what end? Like, why does it matter that we're ambivalent whether or not we know there's well, a Well, that, that comes back to their nihilism. Yeah. But it it's, comes it's back not, to like... It's well, not true nihilism, right? Like, oh, sorry. We, it, well, yeah, we, <laughs> we should do a whole yeah. thing on the Big Lebowski and nihilism. That would be a whole other... Uh, but yeah, so essentially these characters are all, you know, on a wagon, on their way to... Uh, what's the name of the place? Um, the Moral and Spiritual Hygiene at the Chautauqua. Yes. Because, <laughs> again, in Colorado, like 30 miles from here is one of the uh, the only last Chautauquas. Ah, yeah, yeah, in Boulder. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, they're like all on their way uh, and they're just having conversations about, you know, life, about yeah, uh, their, like a- their morality. Each one of them like, def- like gives like a very like clear like uh, dialogue or a monologue on like what their morality stance is yeah. given the uh, you know on the state of humanity on and, you know and th- like what types of people there are like yeah. there's one type of person no there's two types of people no there's this so there's like the fur trapper who believes that there's all people are the same there's like the, ferrets was it ferrets or yeah, lizards are like or... ferrets or something else they all but it's gotta it's gotta have fur, it has fur. <laughs> i can't remember what it was yeah. there's, there's the trapper and then there's the like wife of a preacher who like is like there's two types of people there's morally standing and there's sinners <laughs> and then there's the gambler who's like there's people who are lucky and people who are unlucky and then we have these other two characters and this is all within the blocking we have these three people and then there's these separate other people sitting on the other side of the coach um who are like bounty hunters bounty hunters yeah but you but are not coded as such right yes. it, they don't um you know it takes a little while for the audience to realize it. i mean they have to explicitly say it yeah but I, I think there's a quote here for this one it's i challenge your credentials for assessing human worth right <laughs> like that yeah. was like what like again this goes back to the why are you wearing a top hat right in the film <laughs> but but i think that that is in some ways is the heart of this episode is like 
talking about, you know, kind of assessing human worth. You've got the bounty hunters, you've got these people who have different points of view on morality and what it means. In some ways, it's more classically Western that way, but it's all done through dialogue, yeah. which to me, like the stronger ones are where they work that out either visually or sonically or some other way. That show I'm don't tell. Stating, and, show and, don't tell. And, and I'm stating I, my like, point of view. <laughs> why I find this one to be weird, at least from like a, a Coen Brothers perspective, is because like this, it's all dialogue. Like there's no like visual storytelling, which is what they're best at. There's, I mean, they do some nice two shots and like how they frame they the people. I mean, it, it, it's kind of like, it, imagine like an exercise of like, we're going to put these five people in a tiny space and do it well. And if that is the conceit or what you, the filmmakers want to do, if, if, you, if you like that kind of thing, I would, uh, Knife in the Water is a much better version of that where it's three characters on a boat <laughs> for an hour, two, two hours. <laughs> much better version of it. Also, uh, what was it? The Man from the Earth? The Man from Earth. Yeah, that's a good one too. Um, we did that one as well. Yeah. Oh, that's right. I forgot. Um, I feel like this, uh, <laughs> the image that comes to mind is like that meme where it's like uh, the handshake from uh, like Predator. It's like, and then it's like the two united, like yes. the two core. Like, and for me, it's like pretentious philosophy majors and pretentious film majors, like meeting in the middle and yeah. like <laughs> loving the shit yeah. out of this. That's exactly <laughs> what this piece is. Pretentious philosophy majors and pretentious film majors, yes. the Coen Brothers. Oh, that's funny. Nice. Um, but yeah, so they all end up like getting to. They get to this place, but it's revealed that like they have all this talk about like. Um, transitioning to the next world and this guy has a monologue about like oh they never know that they're going to the next world and tell the thing and you start to believe like oh is this stagecoach actually just a trip into the afterlife and these guys are reapers bringing these three people into the afterlife and then at the end they go into the hotel and the, the uh, gambler the card player is hesitant to go in because he's like what if this is hell yeah well and then that's like the thing too that they like with the coach driver and they're like, yeah, he never stops. Like, he won't he, stop. Yeah, he, yeah, and so, but at the same time, it makes me wonder because it's like, if that's the case, then why is there a dead person on top of the <laughs> coach? Yeah. It, it's one of those, it's, I would have loved just like a dash more clarity. And I feel like that could have been done by like, maybe like it was like a ruse, maybe like the, the the reapers are like do that to like have people like be comforted like oh no obviously you can't be dead because there's like a dead person that's like right. here like on top of the coach with us so you're not dead but it's all just could just be a ruse so i don't know i i've got mixed feelings about like the the nature of this one <laughs> i just found it kind of boring yeah <laughs> yeah i mean I, that's honestly my problem yeah i find like this and i i feel bad that they close with this one because i think this is the weakest of all six and it's the one they leave us on yeah because it's you know it's ending with death either yeah. literal metaphorical or kind of again going back to that semi-magical realistic realism style like oh who knows oh, and then again allowing them to have their ambiguous ambiguous, their ambiguous end, ending, ending. Yeah. but um one other thing i want to talk about this one is the song that brendan gleason sings um, is called The Unfortunate Lad or sometimes called The Unfortunate Rake but it's also mm -hmm. featured in season 3 of Deadwood oh. where Al Swearingen sings this exact same song because nice. I remember the thing of like it's six ladies to carry my coffin and six ladies to sing me a song and, like, and let each of them carry a bunch of green laurels so they don't have to smell me as they bear me along huh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well 
Colin with all the knowledge. I know. <laughs> I'm just thinking, man, I'm, I'm intimidated by your all ability to actually carry a tune. <laughs> all right. Well, so all right. So before we go back to break, what's your yep. favorite and least favorite each one? Colin? Uh, least favorite is Mortal Remains, and I guess I'm going to settle on my favorite is Galvagot Rattle, just because I love the the relationship that develops between Billy Knapp and uh, Mrs. Longabout. Alright, Tara? <laughs> She's just like, I hate it. No, 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 no. I'm trying to think. There were scenes that I liked. I wouldn't necessarily put like. The Which one different... had the most scenes that you liked? Oh, man. All right, you, go, you go first and then I'll think about it. All right. So, so Craig, uh, which one did you like? A favorite, least favorite? Yeah, I'd probably say, um, yeah, Mortal Remains is probably my least favorite too. Um, probably somewhere between All Gold Canyon and Meal Ticket. Um, just for, I, I really did enjoy like the, the whole thing of like nature and, you know, overuse and abuse and, you know, all like, you know, sapping resources from the land. I enjoyed that, uh, and how that was portrayed. I thought there were like some gorgeous shots in this. Uh, it was one of the most like colorful, um, vignettes that was in this uh and how did they get the owl to poof up like like an owl trainer like poking it with a stick uh so yeah i'd probably say probably lean more towards all gold canyon Uh, it's kind of 50 50 for me between all gold canyon and galaga rattled yeah yeah i would say all gold canyon probably is that the name of old all gold Gold canyon Canyon. thank you again because visually they do so much of the exploitation of the land yeah you know um but, but they're still relying on that trope that this is this untouched by humans wilderness, which it was not. Right? Yeah. Again, it was like the people that were living there here, like, just knew how to live in yes. concert with the land. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, there, there was a native population that was doing exactly that. And then, sorry, white people were the worst. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. Colonization, so fun. And then my, I, <laughs> and then I, I don't know which one my least favorite was. Um, perhaps the singing cowboy one, uh, the first one. Because, I, again, I get the idea that it's, like, wacky to turn that trope on its head. But, like, really? Really? Like, Colorado this year finally pulled slavery out of the state constitution. It, uh, this is the Wild West, right? You can talk about how that ended up in there to yeah. begin with. And no word, like, working on the trope of the singing cowboy. Like, really? Is that really important to us right now? Yeah. <laughs> That's my, my... Yeah, like I said at the beginning, it's... Um, it is telling like the things that they decide to actually like evaluate and the things that they ch- decide to investigate versus what they just kind of gloss over and yeah. take and, for granted. And, yep. and meanwhile, all I want them to do is make a full-blown Busby Berkeley musical. <laughs> but come on, Cohen brothers. Well, they have the scene in um, the Big Lebowski. They have a scene in the Big yeah. Lebowski and they have like things here and there and there's a lot of music in inside Lewin Davis, but I want them to make a full musical, like an entire movie yeah. that's a musical. Yeah, I guess it's that there, there's so many, you know, production details of the time, like the in the um, Oregon Trail one where the man is dancing around the campfire with the kind with of... The, the, the doll. doll yeah, the female like a mannequin type of... That's like, attached to his feet. Like, there are all these things that clearly in their research they found and wanted to pull and put into the movie. And yeah. that, again trademark of the Coen brothers I feel like they could do that a little bit more strategically in terms of talking about like relevance today um, yeah. rather than just well, oh we don't do that anymore isn't that interesting <laughs> yeah. they they are very much set in their like old-fashioned 
ways of storytelling and their old-fashioned ways of writing things. It's and it is the thing that bothers me most about them because I admire them as filmmakers so much. I just wish they would care more about representation and about you know telling stories that don't apply just to straight white men. Well, this is yeah what I was talking about in our last episode with Deidre and Lenny Robert Train as far as. Netflix kind of providing this opportunity for people who would not otherwise mm-hmm. be able to yep. tell their stories to have a platform to do that. Um, and I don't necessarily think the Corn Brothers like need that. Here. No, the Corn Brothers and, could have gotten this movie made anyway. Yeah, and if they were going to do that, it would have been great if they again like not just taken on their monolithic role as being like the ultimate arbiters of like telling the story that they want to tell and incorporating other voices into that. That would have been amazing. I would have loved to see that, and I would love to see more of that going forward, particularly with, you know, like, straight white male filmmakers of, like, saying, like, yes, I have the story that I would like to tell, but also I want to have all these other voices, like, come in and, like, give their input to be able to find the blind spots that I might be missing, to, you know, fill these gaps where, you know, my experience doesn't allow me to see or tell that story in a way that is representative of the people that I'm trying to get this story out to. That's what I would love to see more of, like, specifically from, like, straight white male filmmakers. Like, and get those voices. right? That, yeah. That, like, they have, they have the platform. They, they, they have got they, multiple Oscars. I mean, it, if anyone's got the clout to do it, these guys do. And like you said, Francis McDormand was saying like inclusion, inclusion writers, writers. <laughs> this year so, at the Oscars. So, yeah. like, so and, and, hey, Joel. <laughs> yeah. Joel, maybe, knock, knock, knock. maybe listen to your wife. Yes. Yeah. Oh, and that's the thing. Like it can be done. We've got um, uh, uh, Ava DuVernay, who's just got a hundred million dollar deal with Warner Brothers Television. And you know, she's going to bring up like a lot of other voices like with her. We've got uh, Jordan Peele, who's uh, making, you know, uh, like the new Twilight Zone. He's got another number of projects coming up. And like in every stage that he has, like he's bringing up like all of these other voices. He's bringing up like women of color. He's bringing up, you know, like queer people. Like all of these people are doing these things where they are showing, they're providing the example of what you can do when you have success. You don't have to take it all for yourself. You can bring up other people with you and then everyone is better for it. (laughs) The media is better for it. Come on, come on, fellas, come on. All right, on that note, I feel like we should take our break and then we'll be back with some recommendations and some shout outs. Feel free to let us know what you think on social media. You know, all the things we are there. Uh, we'll drop that a little later. But for now, we'll get some recommendations for you. Uh, let's uh, start with Colin. What do you got for us? Um, it, I should have recommended this uh, in our last episode because now I'm like too late because it's after Thanksgiving. But I'm going to recommend a podcast because it's been, I don't know, two weeks since I've recommended something McElroy related. <laughs> um, but this is a annual podcast, once a year. I think I know what you're talking um, about. So <laughs> it's called Till Death Do Us Blart. It is a collaboration between the McElroy brothers and Tim and Guy from The Worst Idea of All Time. And what it is that they have pledged, they have all taken a solemn vow that from now until they die, every year on American Thanksgiving, they will watch and review Paul Blart Mall Cop 2. 
and it is one of the funniest <laughs> podcasts you will ever hear in your life. <laughs> they have like developed this theory that Paul Blart is being like the target of the Shadow Man who is out to wreck his life and is working from within the scenes. <laughs> <laughs> they come up with so many different theories by like viewing three Griffin synced it up to Dark Side of the Moon. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> but like it's only like there's only four episodes so far, but it comes out once a year, so yeah. it's an easy thing to like dig into and and. Because what was so the original premise for the worst idea of all time was what movie were they watching? Well, the first season of worst idea of all time was that every week they would watch um, Grown Ups too. That's right. Yeah. And then the second season of every the worst for I'm, I'm, I'm making a facial expression. <laughs> yeah, on yeah. That. <laughs> the second season of the worst idea of all time is they watch Sex in the City two every week for a year. Ooh. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh no there's like there's like waves of like where it's like they'll like go back and forth from like this kind of like euphoria of like you know like delirium to just like to utter dread <laughs> and just like, yeah. and if you listen to the first season of the worst idea of all time you are just listening to two people descend into madness yeah. <laughs> it's I had to stop, actually. I had to stop, like, in the middle of Worst City of All Time because it was bumming me out. Yeah, oh, much. yeah. But but this, it's once a year. It's light. It's, it's easy. just enough. You, you can figure that. But I also mentioned um, Deadwood uh, during our thing. If you haven't watched Deadwood, it's on HBO. There's three seasons. It's The dialogue is so expertly crafted into this bizarre Western Shakespeare that um, you, you've got to watch Deadwood. So. All right. And Timothy Oliphant looks real hot in a hat. Oh, all right, all right. Uh, that could get me interested. Yep. <laughs> Tar, what do you got for us? Uh, I was going to do just the, if you like this movie, things, other movies to watch in case uh, you haven't heard of them. So obviously, if you like Coen Brothers movies, Hail Caesar has a yeah. similar kind of like zany, frivolous, but with big tonal shifts. Um, oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? Again, similarly, not quite episodic, but um, kind of little chunks of a movie. Um, the TV version of uh, Fargo, season two in particular, even though it takes place in the 70s, it has that storybook structure, like it has books and uh, kind of has that explosive violence with hint of um, kind of fantastical. Um, Non-Coen Brothers related stuff would be Shortcuts, I think that's Robert Altman, from the early 90s. It's a series of short stories, overlapping stories, I think there's 20 of them, 22 maybe, of, oh. in LA, um, but all centered around the earthquake. If you're interested in looking at other depictions of um, kind of quote-unquote freaks and performativity, Diane Arbus's work uh, from the 60s, she's a photographer, kind of a much more morally complex reading. Oh, her uh, her image of the two twin girls is, uh, two twins is what uh, inspired Stanley Kubrick to do the two girls in The Shining. Oh. Danny can play with us forever and ever. That's inspired by Diane, Diane Arbus's work. Um, it's like one for one. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, uh, another one, if you are more in the American art house, contemporary uh, assassination of Jesse James, um, which is from 2007. Brad Pitt, I think, stars in that. Um, again, and then I'm going to go back to Wind River, um, which came out last year. It deals with intersectionality. It deals with race. It deals with poverty. It deals with um, uh, uh, opioid or maybe just drug crisis in general, all set in rural Wyoming on the Arapaho um, reservation there. Really smart, well-made film. Nice. That handles a lot of these things that we've been talking about. <laughs> yeah. Like hits them dead on, straight on. Oh, and then the same, I think it's the same writing team, Hell or High Water. Um, that would be another one. Well, that's not really a Western so much, but it takes place in Texas. Very nice. Yeah. All right. And I will recommend um, 
a little bit more on the lighter side. Is, uh, <laughs> you don't want to talk about the morality season... like good and evil. And... <laughs> I know. I mean, like, you know, we've got some Western themes going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we've got season one, episode nine of Bob's Burgers, which is, um, what is it? Uh, spaghetti Western and meatballs. Nice. Uh, and it's, yeah, Bob and Jean get into this like spaghetti Western uh, that Bob liked when he was a kid. And then it kind of like leaves Louise out of it, which is again, like, interesting kind of looking mm-hmm. at women portrayed in western media like in westerns mm-hmm. in media yes. um and one of my favorite lines from that is uh gene he shows up at school he's like starts taking like this little electric like kind of like play toy <laughs> like guitar and he like starts wearing like this weird hat that's like a sun hat <laughs> but he's like <laughs> supposed to be like the cowboy <laughs> and then like people like he's like someone's like so you look weird he's like weird I think you mean anti-hero. Look at the hat. And I was just like, nice. that's like yes. so perfect for the white hat. <laughs> <laughs> Probably the genre tropes, yeah. Um, so yeah, I feel like that one, uh, yeah, handles a lot of uh, the tropes, ironically, <laughs> <Yes>. that <laughs> even this movie doesn't cover. So yeah. if you want a little fun dash of that. Um, also, I've recommended the comic before, but the specific issues of Exiles, um, which is written by Saladin Ahmed, um, with Rod Rice, or uh, maybe Reese, sorry if I'm mispronouncing that, as a guest artist for the issues uh, and featured pages by Lee Ferguson. Uh, and issues six and seven, they are transported to the Wild West. We get um, like Western analogies because uh, it's Marvel and it's time travel. And so Marvel plus time the multiverse. Travel. You got me. Yeah. Got me. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we get like Western versions of like um, the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants with like Magneto, Quicksilver, Scarlet Witch, um, Mastermind, all his like, like bandits. Um, we get. Um, Black Panther, who's called King in this reality, um, uh, T'Challa as like, uh, you know, Wild West. He's like an all black, but he's still kind of like the white hat, you know, even though, you know, again, turning that trope on its head. Um, We get like Professor Xavier is like a weird, like crazy uh, fundamentalist, uh, like Christian (laughs) fundamentalist pastor (laughs) who's like brainwashing people. Um, Yeah, it's super fun uh, and it's great. The art is gorgeous. It's like this like watercolor, like almost uh, type of like uh, art style, which I'm showing to Tara right now and none of you can see. So just go out and buy it (laughs) because it's amazing and gorgeous. Um, So yeah. Those are my recommendations, um, and I've got some shout-outs this week. Um, we asked people what they thought about this movie on the Twitter sphere, and we got some nice answers, so let's take a look at those. Um, let's see, from Besotted Geek, uh, who hasn't seen it yet, but they said that the Coens are pretty hit or miss, which, as you may have gathered at this point, <laughs> we all kind of are in that same boat. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, well, I mean, I, I, Colin okay, kind of... Like, Brothers movie that I didn't all right. two, two, two of two us. Two out of the three. <laughs> <Two> <laughs> out of the three. Find the brothers hit or miss. Yes. <laughs> uh, but he said, especially after a serious man, like, what the fuck oh, is that? Oh, actually, no, that's the one Coen Brothers I didn't like. Nope, see, oh, there we go. <laughs> we should do that one, then. We should do that one. Yeah, um, yeah Besotted Geek is at Besotted Geek on Twitter. Um, let's see. Uh, what Were They Thinking actually disagrees and said that A Serious Man is an amazing movie and one of their best. Uh, and they are at WWTT Podcast on Twitter. Uh, movie Reviews in 20Qs, who are at Movie Reviews in 
on Twitter say they saw it, can't say they cared for it, but like every single one of their other films, I'll probably have an epiphany in four years' time that this is one of their best films of the past five years. Um, so yeah, maybe we'll get some hindsight, some 2020 vision on that uh, in the future for movie reviews and 20 Qs. Uh, and then we got uh, the Micro Business Renegade podcast who are at Micro Renegade on Twitter. And they said, I like all the formal language, especially in the episode with the wagon trains. Ah. So they like the top hat, Tara. They like the top hat. They like hat. the top hat. Awesome. <laughs> See, there are other people who like this top hat. <laughs> no, I mean, there's a reason they've won a trillion Oscars and have had the 25-year plus career. Uh, like, please. Uh, and then a couple of others, just generally speaking, Amanda's Picture Show Go-Go, uh, who's at Amanda's Pick Show. On Twitter, um, they did Kiki's Delivery Service, which is one of my favorite oh, Miyazaki films. Yes. Um, and they yeah. shouted us out she on their episode. Out Craig and I and, specifically and our podcast. Oh. Yeah, and yeah, like we we've got a lot of Twitter love for Amanda and her podcast. We like both listen to her podcast regularly. Yeah. Um, and Hi, they're awesome. Actually, on the way like to watch Deep Blue Sea last night, I was listening to her Jaws episode, and it was so <laughs> it was so fun that I got to your house and you're like, "We're gonna do Deep Blue Sea." I was like, "Perfect." <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and then uh, Casual Cinecast, um, who tagged us in their review of this, uh, and I'll be going to listen to that a little bit later. They did this one and then uh, Creed 2 in their episode as well. Uh, and then uh, Movie Geek and Proud, who is always showing us love on Twitter as well. They're also pretty awesome. Uh, they're doing uh, Christmas movies coming up here. They asked us, or they asked the Twitter sphere, you know, if a movie happens on Christmas. Like, at what point does it not consider it a Christmas movie? I think if it happens in Christmas, that's a Christmas movie. I think it's pretty much just that simple. <laughs> I mean, I know it's not like a Christmas movie, mm -hmm. but like, I'm like, yeah, it's a Christmas movie. Die Hard, uh, The yep. Long Kiss Goodnight, which I think we should do at some oh, point. Oh, we should We've do got that. to do The Long Kiss Goodnight. All right, yep. I feel like that could be our yep. Christmas episode. We could do a versus. Can we do Die Hard versus? No, no, we're not Scrooge versus that, the Bill Murray movie. Scrooge versus The Long Kiss Goodnight? Is that our next episode, guys? <laughs> different no. i think we've got Never one more mind. oh no that we are yeah. in december we could do that next all right we'll talk about it i think i think it's too weird a combo yeah, yeah. well at the very least i think we should do the long kiss goodnight um and then we'll kind of maybe figure out what to yeah. do with that well, let's do long kiss goodnight next and then we'll figure out what to do or we can combine, figure out what yeah. to combine it with. All right, so yeah, definitely the longest good night. Maybe, maybe combine with something else. We might do a Die Hard combo since those are both like the action -y. Don't make me watch Die Hard again. I've never seen it, actually. Oh, you haven't? No. I've just seen it so many times. Okay, all right. Yeah. Well, it's a great movie. It's right. really well made. John <laughs> All right, well, <laughs> uh, next episode forthcoming, at the very least, The Longest Good Night will be involved. Um, so, yeah. Thank you for joining us to this point. Uh, we are so happy to have you with us. And yeah, we're so happy to have you, Tara. Like, so happy to be here. <laughs> this is awesome. Um, so yeah, we are online. You can find all of our episodes at SoundCloud, uh, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, Overcast, all of the things where you find your podcast. Whatever your podcatcher is of choice. Yeah. Uh, but whichever one it is, uh, if there's a rate and review system please rate us please review us helps people find the show yeah and we will read those reviews out once we get them in it's been a little while so 
give us some stuff. Like, let us know what's going on. We just got some new people. We got a new thing going on. Let us know how it is. Let us know if you liked it. If you didn't like it, then, you know, maybe just send us, like, a DM or something, you no, know? No, 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 like, it's okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm a big girl. I can handle it. Oh, no, I just mean, like, in general, like, you know, if, if you're not going to give us, like, a five-star review, maybe just, like, you know, like, hey, guys, what's up? <laughs> you know, if you don't like it, you can send the podcast bursar's office for a complete <laughs> Exactly, yeah. <laughs> we refer you to them. Um, so, yeah, we are also on Twitter. We are at IWITWT. We are on Facebook, uh, Facebook forward slash groups forward slash IWITWT. For as long as Facebook still exists, which I don't know, who knows, at any day could also just go away. <laughs> um, well, as long as it's there, we're going to post our episodes there. Yeah. We'll, post, we'll have some discussion. So if you if that's your medium of choice, talk to us there. Yeah. Uh, so um, you can find each of us individually. I am at Catharticus. I'm at Cullen Munch. Are you online, Tara? Hey. I am. I'm just kind of a private person. That's fine. If Tara, you want to contact yeah. me, contact them. And yeah, if, if you got something yeah. to say to Tara, you, you can say it to me. That's we'll, right. We'll pass it through. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, thank you guys for joining us. Am I missing anything? I think we got it I all, think huh? that's it. All right. Thank awesome, you. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, you guys, enjoy your day and goodbye. Audio studios.